I always enjoy being here with you guys. We love Matt and Shannon so much, and uh, it's great to be here. It's been a long time since I've been able to be here, and uh, so I'm really excited to get to be here again. Let's pray. Dear God, as we talk about where it is that we find the grace that we need to live in this broken world, the grace that we need when the unexpected happens, like what Matt and Shannon are going through and what so many here have gone through before and may even be facing right now, God, would you just open our eyes, would you give us a taste of your grace this morning and send us out just refreshed, comforted, encouraged, uh, with endurance to face whatever it is uh, you may be leading us into. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, but, but when someone that I love comes and, and, and they share a problem with me, and, or they share something that they're struggling with, or they share a conflict that they're in, or you're even just watching it kind of take place, uh, my first reaction it's always to try to fix it, right? You see, you hear your kids struggling with something. They're having a problem at school with another friend or, or your, your husband or your wife comes and they're struggling with someone or, 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 or some, a friend. You just, you want to fix it. You want to you give them some advice or give them some help that'll make them feel better, right? We hate, we feel so uncomfortable and we hate so much people being sad and people hurting and people going through hard times. We just want to do something uh, to make it better. Uh, that's just our natural reaction. Even you heard, you know, the, the story about Matt and Shannon, our natural reaction. What can we do, right? That, that's what, how we respond when we hear about a problem. And, and sometimes it works, right? Sometimes uh, you share something with someone and they're just like, that's what I needed to hear. And they just go away like, like, so, like happy when they came to you sad, or they go away just feeling so encouraged. Maybe you share a verse or you pray with them and and they go away, and, and it almost seems like, man, this is, this is better. But then sometimes that's not what happens, right? Sometimes uh, the older I get and, and, and the more struggles and people that I work with, the more you realize some things don't fix that easy, right? Some things, as hard as you try, they stay broken. Sometimes it's because people don't want our help, right? Sometimes you feel like you have the advice or the help that someone needs, but, but, but they're not really interested. They, they, don't, uh, they don't want to listen. Maybe they have their own plans or their own agenda. Maybe they think their way is better uh, than, than, than the way that you're advising them. How many of you ever found yourself in a situation like that, where, where you're sharing with someone, you're trying to help someone, you think maybe even you have the answer that they need, and yet for some reason you can't seem to get through. For some reason they're not listening. Uh, they, they don't want uh, to take your advice. They don't really want your help. I know for me that, that happens often, and in being a pastor that, that, that's something that I deal with uh, quite a bit. And and oftentimes what, what happens is I respond to that by, by kind of redoubling my efforts, right? By like pushing in from, from another way, right? So I try to help this way and it doesn't work. And I think, ah, maybe they just didn't understand. So, so then I try like another illustration or another example. Or, or you just, you, you try to, you try, I, I try to make a better argument. I, I think, man, I, I know this is what they need. So I just gotta, I gotta find a way. Maybe uh, something, if I say it differently, maybe 
they'll listen. Um, but I've found in my life oftentimes that doesn't work either. And, and, and at some point, there's been many times where I've tried so hard and I've just come to the realization that I can't, I'm not in control, that, that I can't fix this. Um, and so often when that comes, you finally get to the point where you, you, you just let go, right? You, you, you realize, I got to let go. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't fix this. And so I have to let go of control of this situation. But I want to be honest with you. One, one of the crazy things that I began to find is I would try so hard to help someone, and I would get so invested, and when finally I began to realize that they just weren't going to receive help, I would let go, but the moment I would let go, it was like I would feel, even I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them, or you wouldn't be real, like you wouldn't see it, but I would just feel in my own heart even like this distance. And it was almost, I'm going to say this, and, and it's, it's horrible to even say and to think, but it was almost, when I began to just try to understand my feelings, it was almost as if when I realized that the, the moment that I gave up fixing someone, I gave up caring as much that they were broken. Like when I cared about their brokenness, I had to fix it. And the moment I realized that I couldn't fix it, something happened and I began to care less about their brokenness. It, 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 I know that sounds horrible, right? But it, it seemed to me like the only way to, to kind of protect myself. Because when I gave up control, then if I still cared, I was just going to hurt. I was just going to be sad. It was, it was when you feel like you have a chance to help them, then you've got this hope and the hope drives you to try. But when you give up helping, it's really hard to keep caring. Does that make sense? When you give up helping, it's hard to keep caring. When you recognize that you're not going to be able to fix this, it's hard to still hurt about it at the same level. What about you? How do you respond to the brokenness that you can't fix? How do you lead people that don't want to follow you? How do you treat people who don't receive your love? Do you just keep trying and trying and trying until you get frustrated and, and angry inside? Do you find yourself uh, just giving up and saying, I'm going to move on to someone that, 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 that seems more promising, someone that will listen, I'm going to save my advice for somebody that, that actually cares? Have you, have you figured out how to care about things that you can't control? Have you figured out how to love even after someone's broken your heart? The Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul knew how to love people who had broken his heart. He knew how to care without control. When I think of the Apostle Paul loving broken people, I think about the Corinthians, right? If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you just become very aware these are a broken, broken, messed up people but Paul loves them. And it shouldn't surprise us that what happens when we love broken people happened when Paul loved broken people. And that is they broke his heart. They hurt him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and with anguish of heart. The Corinthians broke his heart. 
He loved them. Even though they were such a mess, he loved them and they broke his heart. He goes on to say, I didn't write you to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Even though you broke my heart, I still love you. I think we see this really clear in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 13. Here Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. I want you to hear what Paul's saying. He's saying, even after everything that you've done to me, even after that time I visited you and you rejected me and sent me away, even after that letter that I wrote you full of tears, even after all of the criticism that you have had for my ministry, even though I know that to this day your heart and affections towards me remain narrow and small, even though I know that, my heart remains as open towards you and my love remains as great for you as the day I met you. It hasn't changed. How did he do it? Don't you wonder that when you hear that? Don't you say, how, how, how did he do that? What enabled him to love people more than they loved him back? What enabled him to keep his heart, that's not what we do, right? When our, we open up wide. If, if the, we're lucky when we open wide our hearts to someone, right? I mean, we think that's just great. Like, praise God, like he's given me a love for this person. I've opened my heart. But when they, when they prick it, when they hit it, when they hurt it, man, it, it shuts up, doesn't it? It, it, it? Who is this Paul that after all of this pain, he says, my heart's just as wide open as before you ever wounded it. I want to know how to love like this. I want to be able to say with Paul in, in verse 3 there that we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Basically, he's saying any brokenness that we have, it's not because I don't love you. It's because your heart isn't receiving my love. It's because you're not giving it back. It's my heart is open and it hasn't changed. How does he do it? I want this to be true of me. I want this to be true of me, but I, if I'm honest, I know that, that oftentimes it's not. The, the truth is that, that my impatience, my frustration with people who won't listen to me, my desire to protect my heart from being broken, these things, they tell me something's missing. Paul had something that is often missing from the way I treat people. Something was keeping me, holding me back from loving people the way that Paul loved the Corinthians. And the more I began to just sit there and think about it and say, what is it? What's missing? You know what I realized? It was grace. It was grace that was missing. But you know what made it so hard to detect? Is that grace was not missing from my message. Grace was not missing from the advice that I was giving people. Grace was not missing from the things that I was telling them. 
It wasn't the message that was the problem. It was me. I was missing grace. My heart was missing grace. Oftentimes, we get so focused on the message, and, and as long as we're giving someone the right advice, we think we're fine. But, but oftentimes, we may be giving someone the right advice, but our hearts aren't right. We're trying to tell someone a message of grace, but it doesn't really ring true when it comes from a heart of impatience, frustration, manipulation, coercion, whatever. I lacked grace. I lacked patience for people that wouldn't listen to me. I got frustrated when people uh, wouldn't receive my love. I didn't know how to love people I couldn't fix. I didn't know how to care about situations that I wasn't in control of. How many of you have ever found yourself lacking grace? You ever find yourself getting frustrated? Impatient with people when they don't listen to you? You ever given up and stopped caring because you lost hope in a relationship or in a person? You ever found it difficult to love someone that just didn't receive your love? No matter what you did was never good enough? How many of you have ever distanced yourself from people that have hurt you? Cut yourself off from people that have been overly critical of you. You know what makes grace so hard? I'll tell you what makes grace so hard. The people that need it the most appreciate it the least. Tell me that's not crazy. We give grace to somebody and they're like, oh, thank you so much, that's great. I mean, it's not even grace anymore because they've paid us back with their gratitude. It's the, it's the people that need grace the most are the least grateful for it, the least appreciative of it. That's what makes it grace. That's what grace does. Grace gives more than it receives. It loves more than it's loved. It cares more than it's cared about. It, 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 grace allows us to open wide our hearts to people and, and to keep them open regardless of how long it takes for them to receive it or how much resistance they seem to give. That's what grace is. And here's the deal. When you and I try to minister, when we try to love people out of our own strength, when we try to fix and help people from our own strength, grace is the first thing that we run out of. When you try to help someone from your own strength, grace is the first thing you find yourself running out of. So you know what that that leads us to a question, right? Where do we get more? Right? When we run out of grace, where do we get more? Where do we find the grace to love people more than they love us? Yeah, we're gonna, we're, we're, that's what we're going to find out. That's, that's, that's good. I like that, though. I like that. Yeah, and, 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 and you're exactly right. We cannot give to others what we haven't received ourselves. And so that's really the question. How do we get grace into our hearts? When, when we're not giving it to others, it's because it's not in our hearts anymore. So where do we go to get it? Where do we go to find grace? Where do we go to receive it? Because we can't give to others what we're not receiving 
ourselves. So I think we got to go to Paul because Paul modeled this grace for us so well. So we go to Paul and we say, Paul, where'd you get that grace? Where'd you find grace? And it's the craziest thing. You know where Paul found grace? He tells us where he found grace. He says, I found grace in the broken places of my life. I found grace, listen, he says, I found grace in my weakness, in my woundedness. In 1 Timothy, he tells us, I found grace in my sinfulness. Unfortunately, the thing is, oftentimes what happens is we get so focused on helping other people that we neglect dealing with our own stuff. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have allowed yourself to get so focused on helping someone else with their problems that you've overlooked your own? How many of you have tried to use your strengths to help other people deal with their weaknesses? How many of you have tried to help people deal with their sin while overlooking your own? How many people have, how many of you have, have, have tried to help others with the battles that they're in, right? They're in this battle, they're facing this war, and you go in and you try to help them, but you're helping them from the sidelines. We bury our wounds in order to help other people process through theirs. But that's not what Paul did. Throughout Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he never shies away from talking about his weaknesses. And in 1 Corinthians 4.13, he says, We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Throughout Paul's letters, he's constantly putting before the Corinthians his own weaknesses, his own struggles, his own woundedness, his own, his own hurts, his own suffering. You know why, Paul? I mean, it's crazy. He's like, why? When you're trying to help this really broken people, Paul, why do you keep talking about your own suffering? Why do you keep talking about your weakness? Why do you keep talking about your wounds? I'll tell you why. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us why. It's because it was in the midst of his weakness that Jesus came to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And when Paul heard that, all of a sudden he said, Therefore, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is found in the broken places of our lives. Grace is found in weakness. It's found in insults. It's found in hardships. It's found in trials. It's found in persecutions. It's found in calamities. That's where grace is found. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul tells us grace is found in, in, in sin, in our sinfulness. What I'm saying is this. It's a crazy thought, but, but I want you to hear me. The grace that you and I need the most is actually found in the places that we want to go the least. 
The grace that you and I need the most is found in the places that we want to go the least. It's found in weaknesses. Who wants to go to their weaknesses? It's found in insults and hardships and persecutions. Who wants those? It's found in calamities. It's found in our sinfulness. Who wants to think about that? Pascal knows who wants to think about that. Listen to what he says. What can a man do? He wants to be great and finds that he's small. He wants to be happy and finds that he's unhappy. He wants to be perfect, but he finds that he's riddled with imperfections. He wants to be the object of men's joys and men's esteem and men's affections, but he finds that he deserves only their dislike and contempt. So what does he do? What does he do with the broken places of his life? Pascal says he conceives a mortal hatred of the truth that brings him down to earth and convinces him of his faults. Not able to destroy this truth, he concentrates all of his efforts on concealing his faults, both from others and from himself. He cannot stand to be made to see them or them being seen by others. What I'm trying to say is the grace that we need is found in these broken places. And what Pascal is saying is people hate going to the broken places and they hate letting other people see the broken places. The grace that we need the most is found in the places we want to go the least. This is true of us, isn't it? Everything in us recoils from acknowledging our brokenness. We long for grace, but we don't want to go to talk about our weaknesses. We don't want to talk about our hurts. We don't want to remember our wounds. We don't want to bring up our sins. This is true of us, and this is equally true of the people that we're trying to help. Does that make sense? You want to know why people don't want your help? Do you know why when you try to give them grace and encourage them? They're just like you. The place that you're trying to send them is the last place that they want to go because the place where the, 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 the grace that we need is, it's, it's, it's in the, the last place that we want to go. And what I want you guys to know this morning is we can't, we can't lead people to grace from the sidelines. We can't use our, isn't it just crazy how we do it? We want to use our strengths to help people with their weaknesses, right? Do you see what we want? We tell them it's okay to be weak. It's okay. There's grace in your weaknesses. But how are we telling them? We're telling them from a place of strength. Because we think it's good for them to go to their weaknesses, but we don't want to. We tell them they need to confess their sins and God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. But we bury ours. We tell them it's okay to talk about your wounds. It's okay to talk about your past. It's okay to talk about your hurts. You're there to listen, but we bury ours. We don't want to talk to anybody about them. What I'm trying to say is this. I like, uh, this is the image I want you to be thinking. People, the people you love, they will not be herded like cattle to the broken places 
where grace lives. Don't you see that's what we try to do so often? We try to herd them. We try to come behind them. We want them to go to the broken places before we do. We want to push them into them. We think they're definitely good for them. We're just not 100% sure they're good for us yet. If, they, if, if we're ever going to go there, we definitely don't want to go there first. We try to herd people like cattle to the broken places where grace dwells, but they will not be herded. If they are ever going to go there, if they're ever going to find the grace they need, they will have to be led. You know what that means? That means someone's got to go there first. They're going to be led. That means we have to go and talk about our weaknesses if we're going to lead them to embrace theirs. That means we have to be willing to confess our sins if we're going to call them to confess theirs. It means we have to be open in talking about our wounds and our hurts and our pains and our past if we're going to ask them to, to face the mirror and deal with theirs. And that really shouldn't surprise us, should it? It shouldn't surprise us that if people are ever going to find grace, they're going to have to be led to it. Because how on earth did you get there? You and I weren't herded into grace, were we? Somebody had to lead us there. If you and I were ever going to be able to acknowledge our weakness, someone else had to come and had to take on weakness and acknowledge his first. If you and I were ever going to be able to confess our sins, someone else had to come first and pay for them. If you and I were ever going to be able to talk about our wounds and find hope in our suffering, someone else had to lead the way. He had to come and he had to suffer first. And the Bible tells us that, that there is a someone else that did that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son and his son went to the broken places he did not want to go so that he could lead us there. Philippians 2, 6-8, Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, equal to God in every way, strong, beyond your wildest imaginations, became weak. And when he did, he didn't hide it, he embraced it. He got up on a tree so that everyone could see it and gawk at it and mock it and laugh at it and say, you saved others, you're so weak, you can't even save yourself. And there on that tree, he bore our sin and our shame. For all the world to see. Crucified like a common criminal. Isaiah tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. And he didn't hide his wounds. And he didn't, he didn't deny them. And he didn't pretend they weren't real. He showed them all. Because he knew his wounds were what we would need to heal ours. Crushed for our iniquity. He, he, 
Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. By his stripes we were healed. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying Jesus went to the place that he did not want to go. So that he could lead us to grace. You want to know where you find grace? The answer is the cross. That's, that's where we find grace. The grace that you and I need, it's found at the cross. But do you know the only reason why the cross is where we find grace? It's because Jesus went there first. Can you imagine if he would have herded us to the cross? Then it would have been us upon the cross. The cross, there's nothing there's nothing, it wasn't this morning, there was a cross there, but there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing in and of itself good about this cross. The cross is a place of judgment and condemnation. There's nothing attractive about the cross that should make you want to run there. The only thing that makes the cross such a beautiful place is that Jesus went there first. And by going there first, he transformed the cross from a place of judgment to a place of grace. And now he comes to you and me and he says, follow me. I'm leading you to grace. Follow me. Follow me to the place where you can find strength in your weakness. Follow me to the place where your sins can be forgiven. Follow me to the place where your wounds can be healed, where you can find hope in your suffering. So the question that you're faced with this morning is, will you follow him? Will you follow him knowing that he's going to lead you somewhere you do not want to go? Hebrews 13, 12 through 13 says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he bore. Will you follow Jesus outside the camp? Will you acknowledge your weakness? Will you bear the reproach that he bore by confessing your sins? Will you suffer patiently with him, enduring your wounds until he chooses to take them away? I know that it's not easy. I know nobody, nobody enjoys their weaknesses. Nobody likes confessing their sins. No one is finds, no one enjoys, and, 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 and there's no, we don't like to talk about our wounds and our suffering. It doesn't make us comfortable. I know that the place of brokenness is not somewhere that you and I like going. But here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. We don't go there because we like it. We don't go there because it's comfortable. We go there because Jesus is there. That's why we go there. The reason that grace is not found in the comforts and pleasures of the city is because Jesus is not found in the comforts and pleasures of the city. He's outside the gate. He's on a cross. Will you go to him outside the gate and find that his grace is sufficient 
for his power is made perfect in your weakness. I promise you, when you find this grace in the broken places of your life, you will find that it is enough. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That was Paul's testimony, and that has been the testimony of every single person who has ever let Jesus lead them to the broken places of their life. This past year, for me and my wife, Jesus has led us to places that we did not want to go. More than any other time in my life. In April, not last month, but in April, just a year ago in April, my wife and I and my two children, we moved to Uganda to adopt a little girl named Maggie. She was three years old. She was precious. We picked her up two days after we got to the airport, after we got to Uganda. It was amazing. We packed for six weeks. They said, six weeks, you'll be able to finish the adoption and come home. That was our plan. We were so excited about it. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan kept us in Uganda month after month after month after month. After six months of being in Uganda, when we thought we'd be there for six weeks, we were told by a lawyer that Maggie would not be able to get her visa for another two years. So I got on a plane and I came home to our church and I stood in the pulpit and I told my church that I loved them. That I loved them more than they could imagine. That I missed them more than they would ever know. That I, 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 I wanted to be with them so, so, so badly. But I told them, I told them as much as I love you, God has called me to be a father. And if my kid is in Uganda, that's where her father has to be. And so until they let me bring my baby back to America, I'm going to be in Uganda with her. Never before had I been more aware of my weakness. And I'll tell you what, I hated it. I hated my weakness. I hated the fact that I could not be in two places at once. And I hated the fact that I had to choose between loving the family that God had given me and loving the church, and being, being able to be with the church that I loved and being able to be with the family that I loved. I hated that that was a choice. And it was a choice because of my weakness, because I can't be in two places at one time, and so I couldn't be in both. And so I had to choose, and I hated that fact. I hated that reality. I hated being weak. I wanted to do both. And I will tell you that in the midst of that weakness, there was grace. One of the promises that I clung to during that season was Hebrews 13, verse 5, where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so I knew in this weakness that I hated so, so much, I wasn't alone. That God himself had tasted that kind of weakness. And that he was with me in mine. And it also comforted me to know that it wasn't just with me, that he was with Cleo Church. And you know what I had to come to grips with? I had to come to grips with the fact that Cleo Church was better weak 
with Jesus than they ever would have been strong with me. That was in September of last year. In October, in October we got the shocking news that my daughter Maggie actually had a lot more family than we had been told about. And so we decided before we moved forward that we would need to meet her family that we had just found out about. Inside, I, we set up a meeting uh, on a weekend to go, and that was like on a Monday, and so I had the whole week to wait for that meeting. And I'll tell you something. I never dreaded a meeting more in my entire life. Every morning as I would do my devotions, I would just sit there and I would just wrestle with God. Because you see, here's the deal. I was scared to death that God was going to ask me to give Maggie back to her family. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. I, 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 there's just, I, I, don't, I can't communicate this. There's not words that'll work. But uh, I'll just tell you something. Me and Maggie, in those seven months, uh, we bonded in a way that I just I can't describe. And I can just say with all honesty that she made me so, so happy. She brought so much joy to my life. I had so much fun with her. We would laugh and we would joke. Here I am across the world, away from all the comforts at home, living in Africa, away from the church that I loved. And I was so happy. I was so happy because that little girl made me so happy. I love being her dad more than anything I can imagine. And I was scared to death that God was going to ask me to give her back. And I remember just praying, and I would just say it. I just said to God, I said it every morning. I said, listen, 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 pick something else. I said, pick something else. I don't care what you pick. I don't care. You can make it as hard as you want. You just pick something else. You can have America. I don't care if I ever go back to America. You can have America. You can have my church. I don't care what you take. I'm just begging you, pick something else. Do not take my daughter. Don't take my daughter. That weekend we went and we met with her family and found out right away that Maggie's mom, she's still really young, and she lived with her mom and dad, who were still pretty young, too, because she was so young. And they were still alive. And she had seven brothers and sisters, younger brothers and sisters, and all lived at home with their mom and dad. And she was carrying, when we met her, she was carrying a little girl, one year younger than my daughter, a full biological sister of my daughter. And, uh, I mean, it didn't take long at all to to know what God was calling us to do. Uh, Maggie wasn't an orphan. She had a great family, a beautiful family. And since she wasn't an orphan, she didn't need to be adopted. And uh, So I spent the next four days meeting with her mom and her dad, or her mom and her grandpa and her grandma and her uncles and aunts, and uh, talking to them and helping them to see how important family was and uh, 
they were so happy to find out that, that, um, that, that I mean, we, 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 we gave Maggie back, and, and then we, we told him we'd support him, and we found a pastor who will watch over him and, and send him to school and do all those things so that they are okay. And, um, and then me and my wife and my two kids, we got back out of plane, and we came back to America after seven months, and uh, it was like... It didn't even happen, uh, except for the person that came back on the plane wasn't the person that, that got on the plane, because uh, you know, I just tell you the truth, I, I came back broken. I have this pain inside me that I can't get to go away, and, uh, and it just hurts. And I'm just sad. And there's a lot of happiness that I, I used to have that I don't have anymore. And, uh, but I will tell you, I will tell you that even so, the grace of our God has been enough. And it's not been enough to take away the pain. And it hasn't been enough to make it not sad. But it's been enough to give hope in the midst of this broken heart. And, uh, and one of the things I learned is this experience taught me a little bit about what it's like to lose a child. And one of the things that's been overwhelming me is this. If I hurt this bad because a child that I loved for seven months, because I left a child that I loved for seven months in a safe place where she is happy, if I hurt that bad because of that, how much more must our Heavenly Father have hurt to let His Son that He had loved for all eternity hang upon a God-forsaken cross and die in utter pain and shame and suffering. If I hurt because the girl that I love for seven months is happy with her mom, how must my God have hurt to watch his only son bleed and die on a cross under his wrath when he loved him for all eternity? That's a pain I'll never know. And that's a pain that God, who never had to hurt for a second, willingly bore because he loved me and because he loves you. He bore that kind of pain so that you could have grace in the painful places of your life and so that you could know that you will never be alone in your sorrow, never alone in your suffering, never alone. The grace, the grace of our God is sufficient. It's enough. 
And that means that you can acknowledge your weaknesses instead of hiding them and excusing them. And it means that you can confess your sins instead of justifying them and defending them. And it means you can talk about your wounds. Because His grace is enough. Because you're never alone. I don't enjoy talking about that story. Uh, every time I talk about it, it hurts like you won't believe. But I talk about it because that's where I find grace. That's where I find that my God is with me and that he loves me and that he's enough. And I talk about it because I want you to know that I'm not, I don't want to hurt you to those broken places. You'll never go if you get hearted. But I want you to know that you can go to those places in your life. And you can cry. There's nothing wrong with crying. And you can hurt. And you can ask questions. And you can wrestle. And you can beg God. And then you can trust Him. And you can let go. And you can know that he will never leave you or forsake you. And that all the pain that you feel is just a little taste of all the pain that he endured to show you his love. And that he's with you. And that the reason that he went to the cross was because he does not want you to have to live with that pain forever. And so as bad as it may hurt now, it will not hurt forever. And the only reason it won't hurt forever is because our God went to a place he didn't want to go so that he could lead us from the breaking places of our lives to his home in heaven where we will enjoy a life without suffering, a life of joy. That's where I'll get that happiness back again. <laughs> That's where I'll get it. That's where I'll get it. And, I, and I'll just have to wait until then but it'll be sweet when I get it back again. And it'll be better than it ever was. And I can't wait. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for going before us. Thank you for embracing weakness. Thank you for taking our sin. Thank you for willingly experiencing wounds so that ours could be healed, so that our sins could be forgiven, and so that we could find that in our weakness, you are strong. For your grace is sufficient, and your power is made perfect. God, we love you, and we just thank you. God, I pray for these people. Lord, would you, would you take these people that you love, and would you lead them? And would you let them know that there is not a place that they cannot go, that you will not be there? Yea, though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they don't have to be afraid. 
because you're with them. And you'll comfort them. And you'll, and you'll protect them. And you will show them that your grace is sufficient for your power is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.